chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm thrilled to have Jordan Rayner on the show today. Jordan is a best-selling author, speaker, podcast host, CEO of Jordan Rayner & Company, serial entrepreneur, and the executive chairman of Threshold 360. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. Jordan, I am so excited to have you on the Something Extra podcast today, and we have got so much to talk about. So thank you so much for making the time to be on the show. It is truly my joy, Lisa. Thank you for having me. So I have to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Deanne Turner, who is the one that connected us, and you know her, and I know her, and so I'm just so grateful to her. But I read about you. You are a sixth-generation Floridian. According to my grandmother. I don't know that I fully trust the math, but I'm just going to preach that line until she tells me otherwise. We love Florida. I mean, I will tell you, we've been frequenting Naples a lot, but you've got a beautiful wife, Kara, and you got three little girls, Ellison, Kate, and Emery. I love those names. So you got a lot of um, estrogen in the house. <laughs> yes, to say the least. <laughs> Well, I want our people to understand just a little bit, man, I tell you what, your range of experience is just incredible, Jordan. I mean, you have a BS in public relations and business, but you've gone from politics to media. Now you're a best-selling author. You're a serial entrepreneur. In fact, you founded a couple of very sizable businesses, and I want to talk about one of those in particular. I mean, you're doing so many things, but I do want to just talk a little bit about Threshold 360, and I love what you guys are doing. It's a library that includes over 100, is it 100 or a million locations? Yeah, so basically what we've done is created the world's largest database of interior 360 media for public spaces. We're not interested in residential real estate. We're talking about hotels, restaurants, shops, attractions. If you go on Google in any major city in the U.S. for sure and even internationally and are able to virtually step inside of a location, there's a decent chance that we're providing that imagery. That is just so cool because you are allowing – I'm just thinking – 
who all is purchasing this? And I'm assuming that this is a SaaS model. So, you know, I'm thinking visitor bureaus. Funny you mentioned that. That's one of our primary customers. Our beachhead market really was these DMOs, these destination marketing organizations, San Francisco Travel, Visit Dallas, Visit Tampa Bay. All of these guys are our customers. Really anybody who is trying to help consumers decide which thresholds they want to cross offline in the real world. What got me really excited about this business, so I'm not the founder of it. I was the second CEO, was, you know, 360 Media has been around forever, like for 25 years in, in real estate, but nobody really figured out how to scale for public locations. And thanks to our supremely talented team, we figured out how to make this content type scale. And what's really exciting now is, now with all this conversation about the metaverse, we are more primed than ever for this media type. It's a really exciting time for this type of immersive content. Yeah. So do you have competition in this space? Not really a big company that owns these visual assets and licenses them out in a SaaS model, right? There are thousands and thousands of professional photographers who will go sell services to an individual hotel or restaurant to capture this imagery. But to the best of our knowledge, there's not a significant competitor that creates the content, owns the asset, right? That's key. And then licenses it out to Google and basically all of Google's competitors. I'm just so fascinated by it. And how are you marketing this, Jordan? How are people finding you guys? Do you have a direct sales team? Are you doing a lot of social media? I mean, what? how are you marketing right now? It's very much B2B driven sales, right? So we got a sales team just knocking on doors and opening up accounts and just serving our customers through the Ministry of Excellence. Sounds really basic, but... That's how we've been able to grow this thing. And of course, with a great investor group on board. So Jordan, I want to spend the majority of our time talking about redeeming your time, seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. But you have authored several books. You've done Called to Create, A Biblical Invitation to Create, Innovate and Risk, Master of One, Find Focus on the Work You Were Created to Do. I got to order that one because that really intrigues me. And then I know that you've got a children's book coming out called The Creator in You. Tell us about that book. I mean, you've already been wildly successful with this book. Uh, this children's book is really this idea that I heard, honestly, for the first time seven, eight years ago, and it set me on this path to doing the work I'm doing now and creating content. The message is that the quote-unquote sixth day that the Bible talks about in Genesis 1, you see God working right? You see him creating things before he tells us that he is loving or holy or just. He tells us that he's a God who creates. But here's the key. I've read a lot of children's books to my kids about this Genesis 1 idea, and they all follow the same pattern, right? Day one, God created this. Day two, God created that. Day three, day four, day five, day six, the end. But what the Bible teaches is that the sixth day wasn't the end of creation. It was the beginning. It's when God created human beings, passed the baton to them and said, hey, kids, go create and fill this world with art and businesses and spaceships and whatever that point to my, what the Bible calls glory, his goodness, his excellencies. And so I never read a children's book to my kids that made that connection. They always treated 
Genesis 1 is kind of the end of creation rather than the beginning. So I wrote this children's book, The Creator and You, to help my kids see that when they grow up and they become entrepreneurs or scientists or astronauts or artists or novelists, that work is not only good, it's not only a means of serving the world, it is God-like. It is a way when they reveal the creator, capital C creator in them, that's God, they are loving the world and showing the world what the God of the universe is like, a working, creative, loving God. So that's the gist of this book. I mean, and you said really that it's kind of geared to four to eight-year-olds, but really you've got people that are buying this as graduation presents for high schoolers. So yeah. my brain is going 90 miles an hour about how we can get this book into more children's hands. And going back to my entrepreneurial journey, I grew up in a Christian school. I grew up going to church. I had never heard that message until I was 27, something like that. And it radically changed my life. I always thought being an entrepreneur was somehow less significant than the work of a pastor or a missionary or somebody working for an NGO. And that's just not what we see in the Bible. Again, before God tells us anything about himself, he says, hey, I'm a God who makes things. And I made you, my children, to look like me. So when you go out in the world and as an entrepreneur and just create with excellence and love and in accordance with my commands, you're showing the world what I'm like. And that just radically, that rocked my world. Yeah. So much so that I'm dedicating my life now to creating content that helps people understand this and respond to that truth, which is really redeeming your time. That's a good segue to redeeming your time, right? If we believe our work matters deeply, yeah, we should care about stewarding our time as wisely as humanly possible to that end. Yeah, we've been given so many gifts. I just wrote in my journal yesterday, God help me to steward all the good things that you've given. And that is our time, that is our talents, that is relationships, all those things, right, Jordan? But yeah, we're gonna spend some time on this because I absolutely love it. So the title had me all in. <laughs> and I think the aspirations of being purposeful, present, and wildly productive, I think if we took a poll of people, that would be top aspirations for a lot of people. It really would be. But I'm kind of a review junkie. You know, whether it's a review on TripAdvisor, an Amazon review, I mean, I look for those reviews. So I'm looking at the reviews and I want to read just a few snippets here. If wisdom had weight, this book would weigh a thousand pounds. That was John Acuff. What can we learn about time management from the life of Christ? It turns out quite a lot. I'm so grateful that Jordan has written this book. That's Janine Uzel, COO of Wikipedia. Listen to this. I've read countless books on time management, yet none have left me transformed the way Jordan's God-given insight into redeeming your time has. That is Rob Lotich. I mean, these reviews just go on and on and on. And so, Jordan, I want to dig in here because yeah. in your introduction, you go, I'm swamped. I've said it. You've said it. We've all said it at one point. Maybe you're in a season of feeling swamped right now. You roll out of bed each morning exhausted from not getting enough sleep. You pull open your phone to find a dozen text messages with a, a ridiculous gif of a dancing dog. <laughs> you know, at work, your to-do list seems to be getting longer, not shorter. Your day's filled with back-to-back -back meetings with no time to think. I mean, it just goes on. This is, I would say, an epidemic in our world. So 
What I love so much about this, you're a little bit of a systems thinker that comes from your technology background, I am sure. But, you know, what I love so much about the way that you have organized this, you've organized it into seven different principles, but then you give practices. There's 32 practices there. So I would love just to dig in a little bit. One of the things that you say is most of the time management experts talk about workspace productivity, but you are describing grace-based productivity. Can you tell our listeners the difference? The world doesn't necessarily need another time management book. There are 60,000 time management books on Amazon right now. I've read pretty much all the perennial bestsellers given my background as an entrepreneur. Yeah, two really big problems with those books, and you've already hit on the first one here, Lisa. Most of these books tend to be centered on this idea of workspace productivity. The message is you're feeling swamped and overwhelmed. Follow my system, and you got to do it perfectly. And then at the end of this road, you're going to find peace, right? Well, here's the deal. Putting your hopes in any author's system, any worldly system is going to fail you at some point. You got to find peace in something that is secure. For me personally, that's been my relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Romans 5.1, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So I don't do time management exercises in a wild goose chase to get peace. I do it in response to the foundational secure peace that I've already been given and found in a secure place, right? So that's the first problem I'm really trying to solve with this book, Lisa. But if I can just touch on the second problem, you you mentioned these seven principles. And these aren't just seven time management principles. These are seven principles that I believe we can see in the four biographies of the most productive person who has ever walked the earth, Jesus of Nazareth, Christian or not. I think it's pretty hard to dispute that Time Magazine's person of the millennium is not the most productive person who ever walked the earth. And we've got these four biographies. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament of the Bible that show us how he lived his day-to-day life. And of course, they don't show him with a calendar, right, or a to-do list, but they do show Jesus uh, seeking to find solitude so he could think clearly and be creative. They show him dealing with distractions at work. They show him seeking to be busy without being hurried. In other words, they show him dealing with the exact same challenges that we face today. We don't have to wonder how the author of time managed this time. It's right there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I looked at these biographies through that lens and said, okay, What are the timeless time management principles? That's the seven principles of this book. And then map them to, as you said, these 32 wicked practical practices to help us live out those principles in our modern context. That's what had me. Because I'm like, I believe, just like you just said, he is the most productive person. I mean, he created a movement that's still going. And I'm like, why wouldn't I rather learn from him? And what did he do? You know, and as a follower, that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to follow him. But one of the things you say here is time stewardship is a command. You know, we need to reclaim our time from useless pursuits and employ it to the glory of God. And I just love that. But your very first principle is start with a word. And I mean, I understand that some of our listeners may not subscribe to this belief, but, you know, it find what works for you, right? But, you know, having a quiet time is the first practice of that. Yeah. 
again, regardless of your religious beliefs, starting your day in quiet solitude is a wise practice because solitude and silence helps us think clearly, helps us be more creative, et cetera, et cetera, right? Here's the second thing I would say. I think all of us would be wise to start our days rooting ourselves in our values and our principles, in the things that are going to outlive us. All of us want our work and our lives to matter long after we're gone. And if that's true, we got to be rooting our minds and our days in a narrative that will outlive us. And for me, what part of what draws me to the Christian faith is that the Christian Bible says that the things I do in my work today, even the physical things I create, have the chance to last forever. I can't even begin to describe how inspiring that is because I think that kids, it's something deeply human that we all want. In the words of Hamilton, I want to build something that's going to outlive me. Yes. And the Christian narrative says that that's true. And so rooting myself in that reminds me of the value system that I've subscribed to that I want to dictate how I spend my time the rest of the day. That is so good. You know, one of the things that you said, God doesn't need us to be productive. He's God. He's God Almighty. He does not need us to accomplish His purposes. But sometimes we need ourselves to be productive in order to feel a sense of self-worth. But for Him, it's not about that. It's really about just enjoying Him. He is the prize. It's not that we're to get something from Him, but just so much good stuff there. But we do need to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Jordan Rayner. Let's face it, the future is mobile. There's a good chance that you are listening to this show right now on your phone. Have you explored how you can move your business mobile too? Our mobile apps team at Technology Partners makes it their mission to move our clients into the hands of their employees and customers and change their business processes to meet the demands of their users. Let's work together and build a dynamic mobile app for your team. Go to tpi.co slash mobile apps and get the conversation started about how we can help you get your new application off the ground. So welcome back, everyone, to the Something Extra podcast with Jordan Rayner. So Jordan, I want to keep going here because you are so generous with your time, with being on the show today, and just the content. You've told me, Lisa, I want to give this stuff away. I want to help people. And so, you know, I'm really hoping that we can give just some practical things, tactical things that people can take away immediately. But I'm just telling you, listeners, get the book because we are only going to be able to scratch the surface here. But principle two is let your yes be yes. And you talk about something, and I've never heard this before, Jordan. There is a Zigernick effect that you talk about that causes so much stress and anxiety. And my goodness, do we have stress and anxiety in our world today? You call it the open loop. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this Zigernick effect, the idea is when your brain has unfinished business, a song that you cut off midstream and didn't finish, or worse, a to-do that you haven't written down and that's just rolling around in your head. Your brain continues to rehearse the to-do over and over again, right? And that's happening with just one to-do in your head. The problem is we've got hundreds of these things rolling around in our head, and it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety and stress. So let me define this term that you mentioned, Lisa. I call these open loops, which I define as anything big or small, personal or professional, urgent or distant that you have any level of internal commitment to do. For example, I want to buy a place in Naples 
someday. Or I promised the kids that I was going to make them Minnie Mouse waffles this Saturday. Those are two drastically different things, but your brain assigns equal weight and stress to those open loops. The problem is most of us are only keeping track of those open loops in our head, which means we're not keeping track of them, or in starred flagged emails in our email system. So here's the solution real practically, because this is neuroscientists will tell you one of the number one sources of our anxiety and stress. The good news is you don't have to finish all of those open loops. You don't have to close the open loops in order for your brain to let them go. You just have to externalize them outside of your brain and into what I call a commitment tracking system. A single place that you go and you review your open loops and knock them out over time. So real practical, if you're sitting right there and you're like, oh my gosh, I got so many things I know I need to do. They're only in my head. Here's what you do. Sit down real simply right now, pad of paper and shot them all down. And I can almost guarantee you at the end of that list, you're going to feel some amount of relief, even though you haven't completed a single thing on that list right? And that's just a foretaste of what's to come if you do the work that I prescribe in redeeming your time, helping you take that list, define it into really well-defined work, and have a robust commitment tracking system that'll ensure you're never dropping the ball, you're never forgetting about something that's coming up that you missed, and that you are able to attack your day with peace and wild productivity. You know, it's like the brain dump on your checklist, but you go a step further. I mean, you're more of a systems guy. You know what? You had pads of paper everywhere, Jordan. That's not a sustainable solution either, right? But, you know, it's a start. It's a start. You got to get it out of your head. But this is why I say you got to do the work in the book because most people's pads of paper and post-it notes are filled with things they can't actually do. They say things like Halloween. You can't do Halloween. That's a cue to remind you, hey, there's something about Halloween I need to do. Eventually, you're going to have to do the work of defining what that means. What do I mean by Halloween? Oh, I mean that I need to order costumes for the kids. Okay, great. We can work with getting costumes for the kids for Halloween. So what I'm doing in the book is helping readers take these amorphous things, consolidate them into one place, and then move from the amorphous to the concrete so that your to-do list becomes something you can actually do and execute on day in, day out. Yeah. Okay. So principle number three is descent from the kingdom of noise. Yeah. Boy, this principle really resonates with me. We have 60,000 thoughts a day. 90% of those are repetitive where they play over and over and over. We really need to train our minds to be still. You know, you talk about Martin Luther King. He felt such a need for solitude and silence that he actually took his family and moved his family from Montgomery, Alabama to Atlanta so people couldn't find him. Pretty wild. <laughs> you know, because, Pretty drastic. But, you know, he said, my failure to reflect would do harm not only to me as a person, but to the total civil rights movement. He needed that time of solitude and silence. Yeah. King said he had a, quote, moral obligation to seek out solitude. That's a pretty strong statement. That is, that is. And I think it's because King knew that this is the example of Jesus. Again, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the amount of times that the most productive person on earth spent in solitude is mind boggling. 
And this just stands in stark contrast to our lives today. I, I don't need to preach that. We get it. I think what's less clear for most people is why solitude is so necessary. We all agree that we have no silence and no solitude, but why is it critical? Because it helps you think clearly and prioritize your to-do list. Because it helps you be at peace, because all this noise is making us anxious, right? And I think maybe most practically for leaders, it helps us be creative. There is a reason why your most creative ideas likely happen in the shower. (laughs) That's pretty much the last place on earth that's not filled with noise. Here's the good news. You don't have to hop in the shower to have creative ideas. (laughs) You can descend from the kingdom of noise in other places And Lisa, you mentioned there's 32 practices spread out across seven principles. Nine of those practices are in this one principle of dissenting from the kingdom of noise because we have got to wrestle this to the ground. We have to have practical tools in our hands to dissent from this kingdom of noise on a regular basis. We already talked about one of them, starting your day out in silence. And there's a bunch of others in there for your readers to explore. Very good. Listeners, you just got to read it. Principle number four is prioritize your yeses. You said Jesus knew his purpose and everything he did was ran through that filter. He was crazy purposeful. But if you're not crazy purposeful, Jordan, that is where you're going to say yes to things that you really should not be saying yes to. Nine times out of 10, when somebody comes to me and says, man, Jordan, I'm just saying yes to everything. I can't say no. My first question is, what's the big, hairy, audacious goal that you're saying yes to? And nine times out of 10, there's no answer to that question. And that's the problem. The bigger our goals, the more meaningful they are to us, the more significant, the hairier, the audacious goals, that's what's going to enable us to say no. We can't say no until we have a burning yes, until we have something that we're so clear on this, like this is the work that I've been created to do. This is the thing I'm chasing after for the next year, two years, five years, whatever. But once we're clear on that, it gets a heck of a lot easier to say no. Yeah, and you got a metaphorical building with six different levels that you really, I mean, very methodically can take people through each of those. Yeah, and basically this metaphorical building is really just built on tools that your listeners are well familiar with. These terms that we've heard, long-term goals, mission, callings, whatever. It's just putting them in sequential order and in a really practical framework that people can use. Imagine a five-store building. The very top floor, that fifth floor, is your mission in life. Fourth floor are your callings, what you feel called to do in this world. Level down from there, long-term goals. Beneath that, quarterly goals. And the ground level is your tactical to-do list, your commitment tracking system, things that you got to get done today, this week, whatever. But putting all those together is what makes sense of all of this mess and helps us to prioritize our to-do list. And then that sixth quote-unquote floor, I don't even call it a floor, it's the basement of this building, which are our posteriorities, right? This is our avoid-at-all-cost list until everything above ground gets done. And so I use that framework in chapter four of the book to help people take the long list of things they could do and prioritize it down to the things they feel they should do to focus on the work that God gave them to do in this world. You know, you can't do any of this without getting away from the noise. That's why Descent for the Kingdom of Noise is chapter three, and this is chapter four. Almost every time management book I've ever read says, prioritize your big three. Choose your big three things to focus on this week and ignore all the rest. 
That sounds nice, but it just doesn't jive with brain science. Your brain can't forget about all the rest. Right. It's why people have so many problems with this, right? Like you've got to get everything big and small in a single place. That's chapter two, your commitment tracking system. Then you got to have silence to think about all those options. That's chapter three. Then finally, in chapter four, you could set goals that help prioritize everything that you've got in your universe of possibilities. Very good. Well, principle five is accept your unit presence, mainly focus on one thing at a time. But let's talk about principle six, because I think this is one that people struggle with too. And this is embrace productive rest. You know, I read a LinkedIn article, Jordan, last week that said sleep is your superpower. Rest is productive. You say rest is productive for our goals and our souls. There is a page here that I want to read real fast. As a general rule, and countless people I've interviewed on the podcast can confirm the wisdom of this age-old adage, if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. Yes. If you work with your hands, rest with your mind. So in other words, if you're a carpenter, don't go out and chop wood to rest, right? And I just thought that was so awesome. And we love, all of us love Winston Churchill. We probably have read biographies on Winston Churchill. But he worked with his mind as a phenomenal, productive writer and statesman. But he was a painter. I did not realize that about him. He painted over 550 beautiful paintings. So Churchill once said that his ideal day would have been writing 2,000 words and laying 200 bricks. He would rest with his hands by painting and laying bricks at his home. And there's a lot of wisdom here, right? So a lot of us think that being productive means sitting in front of our laptop for nine hours a day. I won't call you a liar, but science will, right? Like that, that's just not the most productive path. The productive path is to pulse. It is to sit in front of that laptop for 90 minutes and then go take 30 minutes off and do something with your hands. Wash dishes, lay bricks like Churchill did, yeah. paint a painting, <laughs> go for a run, whatever it is. But it's this rhythm. Work shouldn't be a marathon. Work is a workout, right? We're going to work real hard, and then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to work really hard, and then we're going to take a break. And when you do that, you find that your productivity explodes because the quality of the work explodes from hour to hour. Okay, so I have a sleep tip for you. Oh, my gosh. All right. So this is a fellow entrepreneur, Dan Clark, that was on my podcast. He's out of New York City. He is the CEO for Brain FM. Okay, yeah, I've heard, I know this company. You know Brain FM? Yeah. I love Brain FM. When I am working, if I'm in deep work, I am playing Brain FM to go to sleep. I mean, I'm telling you, listeners, it works. And Dan is another fellow entrepreneur that's doing amazing things. Principle seven is eliminate all hurry. And, you know, we talk about Jesus and he was always walking. He was always going about. He's very purposeful. But he was an unheard. He was busy without being hurried, you know, because he always had time for people. Tell our listeners, what's the difference between being busy and being hurried? I think busyness, I think of it as this outward condition, right? It's a condition of the body. It's having a lot of things to do. Whereas hurry is this inner condition that you can almost feel in your soul angst, this negative energy that's like pulling us in a million different directions. Let me make it a little bit more concrete. I know I'm busy on a Saturday when I've got a lot of errands on my calendar. I know I've crossed over into this enemy territory of hurry if I get pissed off for picking the quote-unquote wrong line at the grocery store and I lost 30 seconds of my day, (laughs) right? Like, Jesus was crazy busy. One time his family said he was, quote, out of his mind. 
he was so busy, but he was never so busy that he became frantic or anxious or snapping at the other people in his life. And I think that's the delta between busyness and hurry. That's good. I love that. I have to ask you, though, the common thread with all the something extras is what do you believe is the something extra? I'll give you maybe two (laughs) that every leader needs. I think what every leader needs is a verdict for their life that is separate from their performance. There's this quote Madonna gave years ago that I think is the most honest reflection I've ever heard of any performer, of any leader I've ever heard. Here's what she said. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, end quote. And I think a lot of leaders can resonate with that. And really what Madonna's looking for, what I think all of us are looking for, is a verdict for our lives that says that we are valuable, that we are loved, that we are accepted regardless of what we do, right? Because here's the deal, even the most successful leaders in the world are bound to be disappointed at some point. We've got to build our lives on something that is far more secure and reliable. And again, for me, that's the perfect work of Jesus Christ that he did on my behalf, securing the verdict that I could never secure on my own. I would argue Jesus is the only answer to this question that I've ever found to be true. So I would encourage you to consider that in your own life, but if not, find it somewhere else. Because at some point, we're all going to break unless we find the verdict of our lives in something secure. That's good. Well, tell me, and I know we've already talked about this, but what are you excited about? I know you're so excited about the creator in you yeah. that is coming out. How can people find you? Real easy. Got lots of free content for you guys at jordanrainer.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. And that, of course, links to Redeeming Your Time and the Creator and you are there as well. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. I appreciate you making the time to be on the show. This was so much fun. And so thank you for being on the show today. And I look forward to seeing you in person. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc., 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.